title of today's sermon is Hijack. Hijack. You might have heard Omar as he was praying this morning and thanking God that the body of Christ worldwide, um, those that, that recognized it or, or have remembered it anyway, um, all have the ability to celebrate a, a major day in the Lord this Sunday, which is called Pentecost Sunday. Uh, so today's message is centered around Pentecost Sunday. So I'm going to share with you real quick, um, or Pentecost, I mean, just in general. Whenever I was, I verbally, verbally is going to sound weird, but I, I really honestly heard God call me and tell me that he's calling me to preach the gospel. He gave me two messages. He said, I want you to preach very, very simply the same thing that my son preached, which is very apropos, which is repent for the kingdom of God draweth not. Repent. Very simple word. That word is for the world. Now, behind that word repent, if you've been around Edgewater for any length of time, you understand that there are many, many messages and many different things that go into that. So one of the reasons why we break down the Hebrew and we break down the Greek and we try to go deep and we try to unlock things and we try to reveal mysteries to the best of our ability is not so that you guys can go, uh, go home or go to the mall or go to your job or go to wherever and try to break down Hebrew and Greek and, and, and reveal mysteries to people uh, on your job site. I mean, that, it's really, really difficult to do. Some of the messages that I bring to you guys are two, three, five years in the making. If you could hear it one time and turn around and go preach it to somebody else, that means I am really an idiot. As it took me five years to be able to tell the story and it took you five minutes. Now that's going to make me feel really bad. So if you can do that, don't even tell me. I don't want to know. My point is, we do all that to build, as the Bible says, confidence in his word, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Here's the thing. There are, Jesus Christ is not the only one that ever stepped foot out into a crowd and said, repent. But he is the only one that got the reaction that he got. If you read the Gospels, they, they heard him speak and they said, never have we heard a man speak with such authority. What is it that gives a person authority? Why does a cop have, feel like he has the authority to tell you something that if anybody else told you that with the attitude that normally it comes with, God bless law enforcement, it's a hard job, I'm just saying, what makes them feel like they have that authority? What gives a teacher that authority? What gives people that ability? It's because of the understanding that they have. A lawyer has a certain authority in a courtroom because he has a bookshelf of a million books that he's read and he understands the law better than you and I. That's why not a lot of people choose to represent themselves when it comes to a court case. Your lawyer has more authority because he has more knowledge and more knowledge can lead to more wisdom. So the reason we try to break things down is so that you guys are compelled and you understand and you have a certain level of knowledge and wisdom that, that produces an authority that whenever you say Jesus Christ is the son of God, there's something behind that. This may be more than just a Sunday school story. Or a feel good. My grandma was a Christian and that's what she used to say. Jesus Christ is the son of God. So it's not always what you say. Sometimes it's how you say it. Authority. So that was the first message. The second message that he told me to preach was directly out of Acts chapter 19, and we're going to see it today. And it's when Paul, the apostle, we'll read it. He walked up to 12 guys. They were not the 12 guys that are the 12 disciples, but they were 12 disciples. The Bible clearly states they were disciples. And he asked them this question. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they responded with a similar response that you will get from a lot of the church these days, which is, we don't understand what you're talking about with this Holy Ghost. Okay, people have heard of the Holy Spirit. People have heard of the Holy Ghost. But what Paul was asking is, have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost since you believed? And what they now notice, he said, since you believed. So it's for people that already believed. And it's for people that were already called disciples. It's for people that were already saved. It's for people that were already headed to heaven. And he said, by the way, have you received this? And they didn't understand what it was. And he told them about it. He laid hands on them and they received it. God said, this is message number two. One message is for the world. 
and the other message is for the church. So when my wife and I planted Edgewater Church, we figured we were going to come right out of the gates running with the message that he gave us for the church. But it wasn't how God structured things. And it was basically, you plant this church, and we're going to take steps, and we're going to get there. So the message that you're going to hear today, I just want to give you a preemptive idea, is going to become streamline and definition of who we are at Edgewater Church. So if you've been on the website, if the guys at Mario's put the signs out, which they probably didn't, if you saw my vehicle, the obnoxious church vehicle out front driving around town, right above Edgewater, it says Spirit-Filled. If you've got a t-shirt, your shirt says Spirit-Filled. Spirit-Filled Edgewater Church of Clear Lake. That's who we are. Today, we are going to break down the Spirit-Filled portion of that. And there's a reason why we're not called a community church. God bless community churches. I don't have anything against them. That's not us. We're not Baptist, and this is why. We're not Methodist, and this is why. We're not Presbyterian, and this is why. We're not Catholic, and this is why. What we're going to talk about today. And I can guarantee you this. If it wasn't for understanding this, and it wasn't for receiving this, I personally would not be here today. I don't mean I wouldn't be on this earth but I wouldn't be in this pulpit, guaranteed. Because I had said the prayer before, I had accepted that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and I had zero power in my life. Do you hear me this morning? Are you ready this morning? If you are a Christian and a believer, then you serve the most powerful being in the universe. If you feel like you don't have power with God, and you don't have a display of power in your life, I've got news for you. Church is boring. You're right. Because there's nothing more to church than there is to a football game or a baseball game or golf on TV, God forbid, or whatever it is that you enjoy. You'll come to church, you'll sit down, you'll fall asleep, you'll wake back up at the end, you'll leave and feel good about what you did, but you're not walking in power with God, you're not excited about your relationship with God, you're not passionate about your calling with God, because you've given everything to the most powerful being on earth, and you've seen nothing. In way of power. That was, I couldn't put it in those terms when I was a kid, but that's why when I was a kid, I didn't stick with church. I didn't know what to call it, but something was missing. And what was missing for me was power. I read a Bible where a man spit in the dirt, picked it up with his hands, rubbed it in the eyes of a blind guy, and the guy received his sight. And what they wanted me to do was come eat breakfast and play basketball in my pajamas and then go tell everybody how awesome church is. I mean, it's fun. I like breakfast, sort of like basketball. I love being in my pajamas. But there was not any power to that. There was, I didn't see anything that I could do in the church that I couldn't do without the church. There was nothing that God was doing for me that I couldn't do myself. So after a while, it became more or less that I'm very secure with the fact that I'm going to die one day. And I would really like to go to heaven at that point versus the other place. So that was really the motivation for me being a believer. And that's motivation for a lot of people. That's not power. Pentecost Sunday. What happened on Pentecost In Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in one place in Ephesians that if the princes of this world would have known that they crucified the Lord of glory, they never would have done it. I'm going to read to you a scripture that Jesus described his glory, his glorification, and the reason for it. And I'm going to tell you this morning, this is what Satan and his princes couldn't have known. This is the secret, the Bible says, the hidden thing that was spoken out loud. This is the mystery of the Godhead. This is how he was seen of angels and born of men. This is how a pre-existent being in Christ became existent inside of his own creation. This is what is missing in the predestinated predestination of the Calvinist view. This is what separates once saved, always saved from those that know faith without works is dead. This is the gem of his plan, the reason for his coming, the result of his ascension, the connection of heaven and earth, apples of gold and pictures of silver. This has been hijacked and held ransom by the unpaid bills of Pentecost. And I'll explain to you what that means in a second. 
This is a mystery. This is the great revelation. This is what the first, second, and third great awakenings were built on. This is a revival that's waiting to happen. This is a message that needs to be heard. This is a doctrine that needs to be understood. And I'm standing in front of you not only as your pastor, but as your brother and as a friend. And I'm telling you, you have a decision to make today. Some of you know me well enough that you can make that decision. That that is either crazy. (laughs) He's known me for too long. That is either crazy or out of his mind or not very smart or lost up in the hype or on to something. Because for some of you, this is going to be brand new. For some of you, it's not going to be brand new, but it might be looked at in a brand new way. Let me tell you a little bit about Pentecost, which is the feast that we celebrate today. Real quick, in a nutshell, if you're not familiar with the Feast of the Lord, these are called Holy Days in the Bible. The Holy Days were hijacked a long time ago, and they were replaced with holidays. So I'm not here to tell you that you can't celebrate holidays, as we call them. I'm not against Christmas. I'm not against Easter. I'm not against Valentine's Day. I'm not against whatever. I'm against a lot of the symbolism of it. But if we're going to use one of those days to promote Christ and his birth or his death or his resurrection, I'm all for it because I'll celebrate that every day of the week. That's fine. You can't really be against those things anyway and before the names of the months in which they occur. If you're not going to celebrate Christmas because it's pagan, then you don't need to say the word December or January or February or March or April or Monday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I didn't realize that was out of order, but you understand what I'm saying? Because it's all from pagan origins and pagan roots. But we use it to celebrate Christ and his birth. We use it to celebrate his resurrection. Okay, I'm fine with that. But if you're going to celebrate the holidays, you should at least know about the holy days. The holy days are spelled out in Leviticus 23. They are celebrated throughout the rest of the Old Testament. God asks that we remember them for time beyond time. And when he comes back and establishes the new Jerusalem, which we call heaven, they will be celebrated again. They are never going away. They will never be forgotten. And they all represented something. So without going deep into that teaching, let me just tell you what they were. There were seven of them, oddly enough. God's perfect number of completions. Seven holy feast days to the Lord. Uh, If you want to know more about them, you can grab a calendar on your way out. Great artwork from Israel. Um, It's almost out of date, so we're not charging for them anymore. Uh, You can grab it so that you can read um, read about the holy days and see the artwork and all that good stuff. But it started out with a feast called Passover, which you've probably heard of, which kind of got converted into Easter. Passover is actually comprised of Passover, uh, unleavened bread and first fruits. Those are the three spring festivals. In the middle of the spring and the fall, there's the feast that we celebrate today called Pentecost. Pentecost means, by the way, 50 days after. Exactly what it means. You can see the prefix for five in the penta. Uh, Pentecost means 50 days after. So anytime you meet somebody that tells you they're Pentecostal, I like to ask them, what were you 50 days ago? And then I just think <laughs> They don't, they don't get it. Anyway, um, that's, don't do that. That's rude. Don't, I, don't, I don't really do that either. It's just a funny joke. So uh, that's what Pentecost means, 50 days after. The reason why it's called Pentecost is because there are 50 days between the last spring festival or feast and then Pentecost. From Pentecost, there's a certain amount of time that passes and we get into the fall season. You have the final three feasts, the, the fall festivals, which are the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, or we would say trumpets, uh, the Feast of... Um, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and then it ends with the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the last three feasts uh, in Leviticus 23, but all the way through the New Testament. So God said, these are holy convocations. I want you to celebrate them every year. I want you to talk about them. I want you to remember them. Thousands of years later, just as an aside note, so you know why God established these things. Of course, Jesus Christ ended up being crucified specifically on Passover. They tried to kill him many other times. He said, no man can take my life, but I freely lay it down. Now is not my time. Now is not my time. Now is not my time. He died when he wanted to die. How he knew he was supposed to die. He did that on Passover to fulfill that feast of the Passover lamb. Then he was buried on unleavened bread. Unleavened leaven represents sin. Christ was without, was without sin. They would wrap it in white linen. He was wrapped in white linen. And there's more and more that goes into it. But he was buried on that feast and he rose on the feast of first fruits. And he is called the first fruits of God because he was the first one to enter into heaven, ascend into heaven, apply the blood to the throne room, all that good stuff. And then 50 days later, as we're going to read today, he told his disciples, his apostles, 
tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He was with them for 40 days. He ascended into heaven. They waited 10 more days in one mind and one accord. They prayed in an upper room until it shook and the Holy Ghost came like a mighty rushing wind. 50 days later on the Feast of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit. And that's how the church began. So knowing that, happy birthday, church. Also, happy birthday, Josh. Birthday today. Yeah, absolutely. Weird. Pentecost Sunday. All right. So is it today is the actual? That's awesome. Okay. Praise God. Well, you better be at the altar, man. We got a special prayer for you. <laughs> so the church started Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 on the Feast of Pentecost. The last three festivals are unfulfilled. Christ did nothing to fulfill those festivals because he was gone. At that point, he poured his spirit out on Pentecost. So we're looking forward to what happens on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. That goes into rapture, tribulation, end times, and all that good stuff. We'll get there one day, but it's not for today. Today, I want to go to Luke chapter 24, verse 49 to start our message. Hijacked. Luke 24 and 49. Luke 24, 49 says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Everybody say promise. Promise. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So we're looking at a promise of the Father. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 2. Now, we understand from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, and we understand from Romans, chapter 1, verse 20, that all of the things that happened in the Old Testament were symbols, and they were used for teaching of what would happen to us in the New Testament. Physically, they happened in the Old Testament. Spiritually, we would, uh, we would actually experience those in New Testament times. Are you with me? So, therefore, when the children of Israel were set free out of Exodus, which happened on the Passover... And it happened with the shedding of the blood of a lamb. We would then see later on in the New Testament, Christ is a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and he was killed on Passover. And if we apply his blood, we are set free like the children were set free in Exodus, in the book of Exodus from Egypt. You with me? So after they were set free by the blood of the lamb, God said, I want you to travel a certain distance and I want you to enter into the promised land. Everybody say the promise. And people have argued over time, what did that promised land represent? Because everything represents something. And so people said the promised land must represent heaven. But then when we get to the promised land, we see there are at least uh, seven to nine different enemies that are still present in the promised land. The Hivites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, all of the ites, they're all there. And they have to be fought and they have to be beat in order to inherit that promise. So when you go to heaven, there won't be any enemies. So the promised land does not represent heaven. Heaven is not the promise of the father. There is a promise of the father that preempts that. And Christ said, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive that promise. Did they tarry in Jerusalem and then go to heaven? No, they did not. They received a promise that is reminiscent of the promised land. Oddly enough, they didn't get in the promised land where they were supposed to, and they tarried in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, after he says, wait in Jerusalem, he tarries with them for 40 days. Coincidence? No, it is not. So the promise they are about to receive is directly linked to the promised land of the Old Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So we see baptism and we see a cloud and we see the sea. So what exactly happened in order for them to get to the promised land? Check this out. First, a lamb was slain and the blood had to be applied to the doorpost. Blood always represents repentance. Everybody say repent. Then they traveled out of Egypt and they came up to the Red Sea. And God parted the Red Sea and they went down into the sea and they came back up. And Paul says right here, it's a likeness of baptism. Everybody say baptism. So we see repentance and we see baptism. And then he says, but they were baptized not only into the sea, but also into the cloud. Everybody say the spirit. Now let's go to Acts chapter two, verse 38. Acts two and 38 takes place 
directly after the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, but we're still on the, the day of Pentecost. Whatever happened was very powerful. There were men from everywhere that saw this outpouring of the Spirit. Are you with me? There were men from everywhere that saw this outpouring of the Spirit. There were men from everywhere that saw this altar call, if you will. There were men from many different nations. Some of them didn't speak the same language. They were part of this church service where God said, this is how I'm starting my church. This is what I'm bringing to my church. This is what I have for my church. Everybody that saw it, the Bible says, got pricked in their heart because of what they saw. How many of you have ever been to a church service and after the altar call or after it was over, have felt the need or seen people stand up and say, okay, 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 what do I need to do to be saved? This is obviously the real deal. What do I need to do? You don't see that a whole lot. More often than not, the pastor says the altar is open and then we have to figure out some kind of routine to get people up here. Everybody, bow your head and close your eyes. If you haven't received Christ, please raise your hand. If you have, but you'd like to rededicate your life, please raise your hand. Not enough hands. If you need something at all, raise your hand. Okay, hands are up. If you've raised your hand, please make your way to the... Why do we, why do we bow our head and close our eyes? We're going to have to walk up in front of everybody anyway. It's ridiculous. And you all know what's coming. So, the smart people don't... No, not raising my hand for anything. Like, I'm smarter. That's usually the older people. The older people are smarter. Older people are always smarter, by the way. So, wiser. So, if you ever find yourself in an argument with an older person... She didn't see that. <laughs> You should really listen. It's not necessarily because they're always right. But their wrongness is planted in more information than you have. Right? Even if they're wrong. So you should listen. You can learn something. Anyway. So older people know better. They're not raising their hand. So we do every eye open, every head up. Anyway, we do different things. Tell the person beside you, you'll go up there if, you, if, they, if they want to go up there. Whatever you have to do. Sometimes we just say... Move the chairs back, and everybody please come to the altar. You don't have a choice. Some people still don't come. Just very, it is a violent protest, by the way, when you do it. This is violent. Um, so we do everything we can do. But this church service, they saw something, something happened, and they all stood up, men from every nation. It didn't matter how they were raised or how they were taught. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says this. Repent. Everybody say the blood. Be baptized. Everybody say the water. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Everybody say the cloud. So we see repentance by the blood. Hello, that gets you out of Exodus. That gets you out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. We see the water by baptism. Hello, that gets you through the Red Sea and that closes off the way of your enemies. And then we see the cloud, which is the promise of the Holy Ghost that is to come. The promise. The promised land is covered by the cloud. The promised land is the promise of the Father. Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, until you be endued with power from on high. You understand what I'm saying? So we're going to see in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, what is that promise and what did that promised land represent? Who in here feels like they've got enough of God? Do not raise your hand. I'll help you out. Some people don't hear the question right the first time, and I don't want, to make, I don't want you to do that. And we all know that we don't have enough of God. We, there's no such thing as enough of God. Agreed? Yes. So we all know that there's more. Yes? yes? Would you like more of God in your life? Yes. There's a part on Facebook that I don't even know if people use it anymore. But when, when Facebook was first invented, it was a big deal to go in there and write what you're about or whatever. I mean, I don't know the last time I read one of those on somebody's page, but I wrote a whole long thing. And part of it was, I really like learning, even though it means that I'm ad admitting that I was stupider or more ignorant right before I did it. Like, you have to admit, if you just learned something new, that means a minute ago you were stupid concerning that thing. So sometimes it's hard for people to learn more because they have to admit there's something they don't know. But all of you just admitted that you want more of God, which means there's more of God out there which means you should not be inhibited by having to say there's something that God has that I haven't got. That should be a joyful thing because that means there's more for you to have. Everybody say, I want the promise. I want the promise. Acts chapter 1. 
We'll start in verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, this being Jesus Christ, seen of them for 40 days, everybody say 40 years, in the wilderness, speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise, everybody say the promise, of the Father, which says he, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. I will not have you ignorant, brethren, how all of our forefathers were baptized into the sea and into the cloud. You understand? Two baptisms. Jesus just said right here, you have been baptized according to the baptism of water that John preached, but there is a baptism I am bringing called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Did I make that up? Is that what it says? Because you didn't sound excited. Verse number five. My Bible says John truly baptized with water. We understand what that is. What does it mean to be baptized in water? Well, baptism is a made up Roman word coming from a, a root of baptisma, which is something they invented, which is based on the Old Testament doctrine of immersion, which is why when we baptize people, we want them fully under the water, immersed, fully surrounded. Because when you go fully underwater, you cannot breathe. And it's a type of being dead. So that when you come back up, it's a type of resurrection. The new man in Christ. Amen. That's why we don't sprinkle babies or people. Because there's no likeness of death there. There's nothing to come up out of. There's no picture of resurrection. That's not a true immersion. He says, you need to be immersed in the water and in the spirit. Right here in Acts chapter 1, verse number 5. Yes? When they were therefore come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the season which the father has put in his own power. Watch this little tongue in cheek. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I want to be a witness for him. I don't live in Jerusalem, so I'm not concerned with Judea, Samaria, and all those places. But if he were here... If this is where he had his ministry, he would say, you'll be witnesses to me in Clear Lake, Webster, Friendswood, all the surrounding area, South Houston, and to the ends of the earth. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. But he says you won't truly have that power until the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Do you understand when the children of Israel applied the blood, the death angel passed over and they were saved. Everybody say, I'm saved. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm not questioning whether you've applied the blood. I'm not questioning whether you've been through the Red Sea. I'm asking you, have you received the promise of the Father? Because Paul walked up on some disciples and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said, we've never really heard of the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you this morning about the Holy Ghost, about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter two, verse one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Everybody say filled. filled. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled. Everybody say filled, filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. See, here's the problem. In John chapter three, which we will probably read here in a few minutes, Jesus Christ is coming up to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the head of the Pharisees. He is the head of the Sanhedrin. He is the man above all the men. And he believes in Jesus, even though most of his subordinates do not. He says in John chapter 3, Teacher, we know that you are sent from heaven, for no man can do these miracles unless he be from God. And he goes on to talk to him, and Jesus tells John, uh, Do you understand that a man must be born again? I'm sorry, Nicodemus, in the book of John. And Nicodemus is kind of confused. Now look what Nicodemus says. He says, can a man go a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So what does Nicodemus think he's talking about? He's, he's referencing physical birth. And Jesus says, no, you can't. You are the leader of all of Israel and you don't know what I mean when I say you must be born again. He's pointing out to him in the Old Testament. Do you not understand in the Old Testament? It was always the second born. Aaron was the first born. Moses was the second born. Esau was the first born. Jacob was the second born. Joseph was the second born. It's always the second born nature that inherits the promise. Always the second born. Do you not understand that you must be born again? That which is born of water is water, he says. And that which is born of flesh, or you must be, I'm sorry, he says, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
So he is referencing a difference between being born out of the flesh and being born in the spirit. And he says this in John chapter three, every time someone is born from above, you know it as born again, because that's how King James, NIV, uh, ESV, NSATB, whatever, everybody says born again. But if you read it in Greek, it says born from above. That has, Every time someone is born from above, you will hear the voice of the spirit. Modern translation, it says like a rushing mighty wind. You can't tell where it comes from and you can't tell where it goes. How many of you know the spirit's invisible? You can't tell where it comes from and you can't tell where it goes. So then you would, you should immediately want to know, well, how do I know if I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost? You can't see it, but in John chapter three, he says, you'll hear it. It'll sound like wind. And in the Greek, he calls it the voice of the spirit. Acts chapter two, all gathered together in one place. They hear a sound from heaven, like a rushing mighty wind takes you right back to John chapter three appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. That is the voice of the spirit. That is the sign that they received it. You can't see it, but you'll hear it. The voice of the spirit is called speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not speaking in a language that you've never learned. It's not speaking in a foreign language that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. If you think about how it comes off, the reason people think that is as the spirit gave them utterance, is because all the men surrounding heard them in their own language. But if you read deep into that, not only in the Greek, but if you think about it logically, they said each man heard each man in his own language. In other words, there were 120 guys at least speaking in tongues. The guy from Mexico heard it in Spanish. The guy from America heard it all in English. The guy from Russia heard it in Russian. The guy from China heard it in Mandarin. Wherever they were, they heard it in Farsi, they heard it in whatever. They heard everyone speaking in their language, but none of them were speaking in a language. They were speaking in tongues, which is called the language of the spirit or the voice of angels all throughout the New Testament. Here's where the problem comes in. Why had you say filled? Because it says in one place when the when the day of Pentecost was fully come in verse number one, they were in one accord, one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven and it filled. That is a certain Greek word. In verse number three, I'm sorry, verse number four, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost is a different Greek word. The reason why I want to point that out is because I want to tell you this. The Bible literally says, if you do not have his spirit, then you are none of his. The Bible literally says, when you repent and you receive Christ, you are filled with his spirit. Filled. You're filled with his spirit. I'm not, I'm not taking that away from you. The spirit of God is in you. That's between you and God. You repent and he, say, he takes out your stony heart and replaces it with the heart of flesh. Filled with the spirit. Let me ask you a question. If I filled this Ozarka bottle up to the top with water, would it be full of water? Yes, just like you are full of his spirit. Could I then take that bottle and say it is also baptized in water? Because it's full. Does that make it baptized? What's the difference? I would have to take it and submerse it in a tub of water. And it'd have to be surrounded for me to say that it's baptized. I'm not taking the fact away that you are full of the spirit of God. I believe that you are. That's how you walk in the spirit. That's how you're able to do that. That's how you're able to believe. That's how you're able to stay on track. I'm not taking your salvation away. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ himself said at the beginning of all four gospels, if you go and read them in the book of Matthew, he said not. He didn't say that I came to die on the cross. He didn't say that I came to be resurrected. He didn't say that I came to shed my blood. He didn't say that I came to perform miracles. He came to do all of that, but he pointed out one thing and one thing only. He said, I come to baptize you in the spirit. John baptizes with water, but I baptize in the spirit, Matthew. In the book of Mark, he says, by the way, John baptizes with water, but I baptize in the spirit. In the book of Luke, John says, by the way, whose shoelaces I'm not worthy to untie, I baptize with water, but he comes to baptize you in the spirit. And then in the book of John, it says, I don't come to baptize with water. I come to baptize with the spirit. And then we read in the book of Acts five times in a row, he came to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Period. End of story. Not to fill you. That's how it starts. But when he said in the book of Luke, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That is literally the Greek word for wearing a jacket. When the Holy Ghost comes upon you in Acts chapter two, on the outside, you wear it like a coat. It's an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing because Paul says each and every day you wrestle between the spirit and your flesh. 
the spirit that's in you and the flesh that's on the outside. They wrestle every day. The flesh says, I want to go do this. I want to go drink. I want to go party. I want to go uh, fornicate. You would never say that if you weren't a Christian. Who uses that term? I want to go, uh, I want to go have sex. I want to go whatever. I want to go to the club. I want to blah, blah, blah. I want to go do all these things that your flesh wants to do. I want to get on that website. I want to watch that movie. I want to, whatever it is that your flesh wants to do. And your spirit says, no, 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 you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't think that. Uh, this is not righteous. This is not holy. You need to follow hard. And there's this war that goes on each and every day. It goes on with all of us. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible says there's a, there's a way for us to get a double portion of a spirit. There's a way, as Elijah gave to Elisha, a double portion. There's a double portion of God's spirit. You can be filled and you can be surrounded. You can be full and you can be baptized. It's like a flesh sandwich. You got the Holy Ghost on the inside. You got the Holy Ghost on the outside. And your flesh is like, oh, I can't do anything. But it's great because you walk in a power. Can I tell you a secret? Before the book of Acts, every time that he talks about us having power, I give you power to tread on scorpions and serpents. It's a Greek word called exousia. Exousia means authority, which we talked about earlier. You have authority over scorpions and serpents, and that's great. You need that. A lot of Christians don't even walk in that. After what happens in Acts chapter 2, every time the word power is used concerning you, it is the Greek word dunamis. Changes. Dunamis is root word of where we get dynamite. And in the Greek, it means, literally means, explosive, miracle-working power. The book of Titus tells us there are many that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. So some people walk with God, but are scared of the power of God. The dunamis power. Because the only people that we've ever seen walk in that dunamis power are called Pentecostals. And when we go to a Pentecostal church, yeah, it's definitely more exciting. But it's not the kind of excitement that we're always looking for. I don't want to necessarily be falling down every service and covered up with a blanket. That happens sometimes. I don't want to swing on chandeliers. I don't want to bite pano legs. I don't want to get all crazy. I don't want all the gifts just crazy. Just everybody's like a crazy party. Like there's no alcohol, but you would think you're walking in there. You know what's going on. These people are just all over. And God bless them. I'm not taking their salvation away either. But it's so funny because they're so free in the spirit, but then they're so in bondage for the rest of their life. They can't wear makeup. They can't cut their hair. They can't wear pants. They can't have a TV. The only thing they can do is eat and they eat. And God bless them because I love food. I'm Italian boy myself. So that part I would do well with. My point being. The message, the title of today's message is hijacked. I want to tell you why I chose that title and I want to tell you what I see going on. And then we'll try to get out of here. I realize we've been going on for a little while. Let me read to you a definition of what hijacked means. It means to illegally seize some type of vehicle in transit and force it to go a different destination or to use it for one's own purposes. Jesus Christ, at the beginning of every gospel, said, John comes to baptize with water, but I came to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Four times in a row, and then repeats it again in the book of Acts, five times in a row. My friend, I, I challenge you to go through the New Testament and find something that's repeated, not only in all four Gospels, but then repeated again in the book of Acts. Five times in a row to pound it into your brain. I don't care if the Baptist preacher told you. I don't care if the seminary guy told you. I don't care how, how uncomfortable the Methodist guy gets. I don't care about the Presbyterian. I don't care about the Catholic guy. I don't care about the teacher, the preacher, the grandma, the grandpa. I don't care what anybody says. I gave you my word and five times in a row, my word is I want to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. This is the promise of the Father. Nobody else's word is going to circumvent that word. But we get scared because it hasn't happened to us. On one hand, we want more of God, but when we're presented with it, we say, well, no. No, 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 not possible. Because I love God and I've asked him for everything and I haven't gotten this. Okay? But then there are people that have received it. And they took this blessed message of Jesus Christ that he died for. And they hijacked it. They totally hijacked it. And instead of walking out into a world that needs his spirit, they've locked it inside of a building and they've gone crazy. 
And you turn on the television and you see people on pulpits in the front of churches. Just like shaking uncontrollably, convulsions and spit going everywhere. And God's got a word. And oh, this is crazy. And you see people down in the congregation and they're laughing and they're falling over and they're going insane. and They're going crazy. And if I'm stepping on your toes, I'm so sorry that I'm stepping on your toes. I really am. I don't want to offend you, but I got to tell you the God's honest truth. Jesus Christ didn't come to deliver that to the church. Jesus Christ did not say, I'm going to die and I'm going to give my blood and I'm going to pour out my spirit so that inside these four walls, you guys can just go absolutely nuts and turn everybody else in the world off. That was not the point of the Holy Ghost. That was not the point of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, when the Holy Ghost shows up, when the baptism shows up, yes, there are supernatural gifts that accompany that. I'm not taking that away. I want to see prophecy. I want to hear people speak in tongues. I will lay hands on the sick. I want to see them healed. We'll cast out devils every day of the week and we'll do that. But we're not going to put it on TV. We're not going to videotape it and share it with people who don't know anything about God. We're not going to make a big thing out of it. We're not going to invite people to our Holy Ghost blowout. Come watch us get crazy in the Holy Spirit because God has given us gifts. And now we've hijacked it. We want to use it for our own purpose because it makes us feel good to get a little crazy. It'll bring me up front. It'll gain me some attention. It'll make me somebody. It's something I can do. I'm not very good at softball or basketball or checkers or chess or whatever it is. But man, I can get up there and shake and spit. And I am crazy in the spirit. You don't even know. So we hijack it. We hijack it. Been hijacked. And then people come in from off the street. We introduce them to Jesus Christ. They're trying to keep the needle out of their arm. They're looking for that kid that they gave up. They're depressed because of an abortion that they had to have, a miscarriage that happened to them. They got raped. They got molested. They got abused in another way. Their dad left them. Their mom hates them. There's all these different things going on. We bring them in out of the world. They don't have a home. We're trying to help them. We try to bless them. We pray for them. In Jesus' name, we try to get them saved. And then we introduce them to a world where Pentecost was delivered. And we have gone in debt. And we have unpaid bills. And you can see it at the front of the church because everybody's going crazy. And we haven't given the due respect. And we haven't given the due payment for the spirit that we were blessed with. We have a responsibility. And we've gone in debt. We have unpaid bills to that responsibility because we lack self-control, because we lack the respect, and because we lack the ability to think outside of that box and understand that this spirit that he gave us wasn't just for our own enjoyment, right? It was for something more. Our worship team can go ahead and come up, and I want to share with you Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. We'll end with these two scriptures. Acts chapter 10, we'll start in verse number 1. Acts chapter 10, verse number 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. A centurion of the band called the Italian band. Everybody say Italian. <laughs> There's no reason for that. Okay. Um, for those visitors, my family's Italian. That's why I did that. Okay. Um, let's go down to verse number 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and beheld a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, which, by the way, if you think that it doesn't impress God or that God doesn't notice when you give, this angel showed up and he said specifically, your prayers are heard and your alms have been accounted for. Verse number 32, send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of another Simon, a tanner by the seaside. Verse 33, immediately I sent for you and uh, you have done well that you have come now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded of you of God then Peter opened his mouth and he said of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons but in every nation that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him the word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ he is the Lord of all that word I say you know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism that John preached everybody say water water baptism from John how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and dunamis power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, and God was with him. And we are witnesses of those things. They hung him 
slew him and hung him on a tree. Verse 40, God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all his people and unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify. Verse 43, to give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. And while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on those which heard. How in God's name could they possibly know that the Holy Ghost fell right then? How could they know? Nicodemus? How could they know 70 nations in the book of Acts? How could they know the Holy Ghost fell? Verse 46, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost just the same as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then prayed that they would tarry for a certain amount of days. That's amazing. God's showing you right there that the plan is to repent, be baptized, and then receive the Holy Ghost. But if you just repent and there's no water around, God will give you the Holy Ghost anyways and you can be baptized afterward. You can do that. Death, burial, and resurrection. That's what that represents. Repentance is with blood, represents death. Burial is represented by baptism. The book of Romans even says so word for word. The Holy Ghost is the resurrection. Acts chapter 19. We'll start in verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast. Verse number 3. Actually, we'll just keep going. Verse number two, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost? Everybody say the Holy Ghost since you believed. And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there even be a Holy Ghost. And he said to them, unto what were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism, raise your hand if you've been baptized in water. Raise your hand if you want to be baptized in water. So we all either have or desire to be baptized in water. So this is for you. And he said unto them, unto what were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism, water. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which is to come, that is Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord, again in water, because they didn't understand the water baptism right either. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came. How do we know the Holy Ghost came? Mr. Seminary teacher, how do we know? Mr. Baptist preacher, how do we know? Mr. Methodist minister, how do we know? Young man, young woman that is hearing this for the first time, how do we know? Older, older man, older woman that has disagreed with this for decades, how do you know? How do we know? How can we possibly know? Am I making this up? Or are we just reading the scriptures? The Holy Ghost came upon them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. In two places they spoke with tongues and prophesied. In one place they spoke with tongues and magnified God. And all of the men and the women were about, were, all of the men were about 12, which that means there were 12 of them. That's Acts chapter 19. It's for Gentiles. It's for Jews. It's for believers. It's for disciples. It's even for Italians. It's the promise of God. It's the promise of the Father. And on behalf of the church of the living God, on behalf of the ministers that represent Christ, I apologize if you've never been taught this. I apologize that we've been given a mandate to carry forth the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you haven't understood this. I apologize if you've never heard it. I sort of apologize if you've never received it, but I can't give it to you, so I can't fully apologize for that. But I can tell you, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. If you struggle with sin, so do I. If you struggle with unbelief, I used to. I remember days when I did. If you struggle with motivation, sometimes. I remember when I did, for sure. Whatever it is you struggle with, I'm here to tell you, exousia is not enough. Exousia power comes with salvation and heaven is yours. I'm not taking that away. God bless you. When you die, you'll go there. But it's up to you how much hell you want to go through along the way. Bad things are going to happen to everybody. You're going to lose people. People are going to get sick. People are going to get mad. People are going to leave you. People are going to stab you in the back. But it hurts less. It hurts less if you have more motivation towards God who says all things work to good for those that love God and are called to his purpose. It's hard to believe that with just exousia power. 
It's a little bit easier with the dunamis. I'm gonna sound, I don't mean to sound terribly arrogant. I really, really don't, but I do not struggle with unbelief. I still struggle with sin from time to time. I have seasons where it's very easy and have seasons where it's more difficult. But when you receive that dunamis power with God, it was hard for me for many years to understand how people could say that they know when they die, they're going to heaven. I believed in Jesus, but I still had that what if in the, in the back of my mind. What if I've done something wrong? What if I sinned too much? What if I didn't ask for forgiveness right? What if my belief is not really founded? What if I just think I believe, but I'm full of myself? What if when I die, I end up in hell? What would I possibly do? But when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when I was rededicated to Christ and that happened, I've never struggled with that question. I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. You're going to mess up. You're still going to sin. But sometimes exousia power will convince you that if you die in the middle of a sin, you might go to hell. Dunamis power will convince you God can overcome that. Dunamis power, you will feel it. You will walk with him. You will be with him. And you'll have more power to lay hands and do all of those things. It is dynamite, miracle-working power. And you do not need to be afraid of it. And you do not need to struggle with the idea that maybe you've received it. Because once you've received it, there's no maybe. You will know. And the way that you will know, it is accompanied with the voice of the Spirit, which is speaking in tongues. This is what makes us a spirit-filled church. If anybody leaves this congregation this morning, if you walk out and say, this is too crazy for me, I don't know about this, I've been taught against this, this is weird, yada, yada. Honestly, I tried to read the scriptures to you and explain them just a little bit. So if you leave and this is not for you, if you decide Edgewater is not the place for you or spirit-filled is not the thing for you, I will not be mad at you, but I would love to hear from you because you will help me to understand how to teach this better. Because I can't, I can't figure out anything else to do than read the scriptures, put them together and make it known. So if you can leave and, and, and you feel like this isn't for you and you feel like you're not denying the scriptures, I need to know how that happens. I'm not calling you out and saying you're wrong. I really want to know. I really want to hear from you. But I hope that you leave this congregation this morning and either A, you come up to the altar here in a minute and receive it, or at least pray for it and ask for it, or B, you leave it and it's something that you believe in and it's something that you desire. It's not salvation power with God. I want that. I hope you want that.